This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by James Forsyth and Kate Andrews and it is Budget Week. Over the weekend we've had various announcements trailed, various stories steered against. Kate, when it comes to what we're expecting the headline news from Rishi Sunak's budget and the spending review to be, it seems as though we're, we're now being tipped that there will be measures when it comes to cost of living that could relate to the minimum wage. Yeah, so the Treasury has publicly put out there so many of its proposals that the question now is, well, what have they held back? What's going to be the rabbit out of the hat, so to speak? And it's thought that it would be related to the looming cost of living crisis that a lot of people are already experiencing. I mean, inflation is up, um, but especially with energy bills uh, in the coming months because of the international gas shortage and, you know, just the the fact that for, for millions of people, energy bills are all but guaranteed to be going up. So the fact that Labour are now calling for this cut to VAT on electricity bills might indicate that they have a sense that that is exactly what the Chancellor is going to do, so they're trying to get ahead of it. We don't really know, um, but it, it wouldn't be surprising. I think what's going to be interesting is in some ways it's going to be a, a tale of two budgets, one in which uh, Rishi Sunak has already briefed that there's going to be quite a lot of spending announced, especially around the NHS. We're going to get roughly £6 billion worth of capital spending to increase capacity, new beds, to improve tech in the NHS. All of this is supposed to be helping with the COVID backlog. But on the other side, we're going to hear a lot of talk of fiscal responsibility. Uh, you're going to hear the Chancellor talking probably about new fiscal rules that he plans to set for himself, ushering in a new era that is not unprecedented amounts of spending and spending that, you know, whatever it takes, which is a phrase the Chancellor has used quite a lot throughout the COVID crisis, but a, a new plan in, in, in which we actually try to somewhat get the finances, um, certainly not balanced, but under control. Of course, there are a lot of question marks, Katie, around what happens with COVID this winter. But when press on the Andrew Marr show yesterday, Rishi Sunak very much implied furlough wouldn't be coming back. That would mean that he thinks that restrictions that seriously hinder economic activity aren't coming back. But, you know, we'll see. James, ahead of this budget, if you think to a few months ago, there was talk of, you know, the, the need to wind in spending and the suggestion that it would be all about fiscal restraint. Restraint is a word the Chancellor has been keen to use. Yet it does feel as though in recent days is actually pointed to the fact it could be a good news budget in some senses. So the latest story is suggesting that we could see that public sector freeze, pay freeze go. Do you think they're looking for positive headline announcements like that to actually almost go against the mood music that they carefully laid out a few months ago? So I think the public sector pay freeze is very hard to sustain at a time when private sector wages are rising. That The justification for the public sector pay freeze previously was, look, it's a pandemic, all of these people in the private sector risk losing their jobs, it wouldn't be right for the public sector to get a pay rise at that moment. Now that private sector wages are rising, something that Boris Johnson likes to emphasise repeatedly, is I think it's very hard to say to people in the public sector, well, we're going to carry on freezing your pay, and that's from there. Especially with prices and inflation going yeah. up. Yeah. And then I say the other thing is, if you look at all these announcements, they tend to be announcements about capital spending, not about current spending. That's where 
things will be generous, I think, on capital. If you look at this big NHS announcement today, so it's basically capital spend on improving the digital infrastructure of the health service, not the current spending. I think the, the question you are left with, though, as you rightly say, Katie, is where is the squeeze coming from, given that we know health is getting more money? I think it's quite clear that education isn't getting anywhere near as generous a settlement as Kevin Collins, the government's catch-up, are wanted uh, or even the children's commissioner ones yeah I mean, I mean there is an interesting case about this extending the school day which is an idea that one's inherently sympathetic to but I think you've got to use it for the right things I don't think there's much point in extending the school day unless you know that you're using that time for maths or for English or for some particular subject that you wish to, to push in that time frame I think the bigger question about schools is I think it is time to, to, to move to a five-term model away from this three-term model with this long summer holiday. Um, we know there's quite a bit of evidence of learning loss there. We know that that tends to affect people who come from kind of background, family backgrounds where you know, there isn't as much educational support for them in the holidays as there is for, for other families. I, mean, that, you know, I think that's a broader reform of education that, that you need to see. I think another question is, you know, how do you deal with these backlogs in the court system and the like? W- what is the answer? I think the interesting question about the NHS backlog to take us on to this winter is, I think one thing that is quite clear on COVID is, I would be surprised if significant economic restrictions return. But I think one thing that I would be very surprised if it wasn't the case is if the NHS waiting list was not longer oh, yeah. come April than it is today. And the health secretary is already warning of that. He think, I mean, he, he more or less has, has said it's going to get worse before it gets better, which would imply that. Yeah. And so the question then becomes, you know, how big is this waiting list and how easily can the NHS recover? I think one of the things that is remarkable at the moment is no one is denying that only 7% of hospital beds in England are taken up with COVID patients. Yet we are still hearing these kind of horror stories from the front line about ambulances queuing up to take people in and the like. I think we are finding that, you know, one of the ways in which the NHS is a relatively inverted commas efficient system is it runs at very close to full capacity all the time. I think that there, there was a real question about then how do you then recover from something like this, which has something like COVID, which has so strained capacity and left you with such a long waiting list. James, you mentioned the NHS. Kate, we've had more warnings over the weekend from NHS figures, from some government advisors, that now is the time to bring in Plan B. Some even pushing for something further. Plan B, of course, is compulsory face masks, and move to home working, something Keir Starmer's calling for now, and then also potentially vaccine passports. In terms of the COVID data, that's something you spend quite a lot of your day looking at, Kate. What is the picture? Because at the moment, it feels the sense in government is that the numbers are clearly going up, but that is expected. The Prime Minister is saying the numbers are not moving at a rate which goes against the modelling, which is why they're not planning to move anytime soon. But they have the potential, of course, to start going much more steeply, rock it up. Is is that what the figures are suggesting? Well, look, if you're just looking at the data as it relates to COVID, it is not at all obvious that Plan B needs to come in yet. We have more beds currently that are unoccupied in the NHS than we do patients who are in uh, hospital beds who have tested positive with COVID. Yes, case numbers are going up, but you're still seeing that 
big sever between uh, infections and hospitalization. And crucially, the groups that are being infected are relatively young, people who we know are a lot less likely to suffer severe impact of this virus. The under 20s, for example, are the age group that is um, currently most infected. And the median age of testing positive for COVID is 27. So again, even before we had vaccines, nobody wants to get the virus, but these are groups that are a lot less likely to end up in hospital. Now that they're double jabbed, we're all in a significantly better place. One of the many really good things about the vaccine rollout and the subsequent booster jabs um, is that it is quite clear in the data that hospitalizations, they haven't leveled out, they're slightly going up, but that huge break between infections and hospitalizations means that if we were really talking about getting to a place where the NHS was overwhelmed uh, by COVID, hopefully you'd be able to see that in the data quite a long way off before you actually got to crisis point. But there's a big difference, Katie, between talking about the NHS being overwhelmed by COVID and the NHS being overwhelmed full stop. That does not mean, however, as James is hinting at, or maybe explicitly saying there, that the NHS isn't under severe strain. Because we know almost every winter, the NHS essentially has a crisis. Elective surgeries often do have to be cancelled. It is harder to get an appointment. Between the months of December and February normally, the NHS is in real crisis mode. The problem we now have is that huge measures that have completely interrupted our our daily lives have been introduced and the public has gotten semi-used to them and they are now seen as easy levers to be pulled for the sake of the health service. But you're talking about a very, very different social contract or understanding of what it means to protect the NHS if we're not just talking about a one-off deadly public health scare, a pandemic, and if we're talking about measures that might need to be brought in every winter. And I would imagine that is where Sajid Javid's mind is at. Whatever restrictions you bring in this winter, you have to assume aren't really for COVID anymore. They're for a winter strain. And that's a very different proposition. At the moment, I think, you know, Rishi Sunak actually put it well yesterday in in his media rounds. He said he's going to be humble. Anything could change. But the data on COVID isn't supporting the reintroduction of restrictions. James, what's changed here is Kate touches on the fact that this Christmas, faced with a winter crisis, there is now a lockdown option. There is a restriction option, which if you think about previous years when uh, the health service under strain would have been approaching unthinkable. Yeah, Jeremy Hunt cancelled all elective operations, I think, in 2018, I think. And no one at that point said, oh, we should, we should kind of reduce events that create social interactions to try and ease the pressure on the health service, even though obviously it is flu, the flu season, which was causing the NHS such trouble, is spread in a very similar way. I think that is a, a problem. I mean, there is a... I think there is a question here about how quickly you can ramp up the booster shots. And I think there's also a question about why you're not offering booster shots to everybody. I think anything, even if it helps only at the margins, everything is worth doing now in terms of low cost preventative measures. I also think that we need massively more emphasis on ventilation, making people realise that windows should be open in workplaces, in schools. It, it, do, it really does help in terms of reducing the risk of, of transmission. And I think those are the things that you need to do. I think the other point is that the public's behaviour, we are about to find out how self-regulating the public's behaviour is. The public's behaviour has been quite self-regulating in this crisis. You know, for example, 
travel on London transport was down the week after all the restrictions went um, than it was before because I think people saw that infection levels were very high. What we don't know is whether people were staying at home because they were scared about getting the virus or were they staying at home because they were scared of getting pinged by test and trace. You now can't get pinged by test and trace in the same way. Is that going to mean that people's behaviour doesn't change or not? And just finally, we've had the news over the weekend, the Chancellor prepares for the budget by having a can of Sprite and a Twix. I believe you broke that story, Katie. Huge. Huge. So so I'll be getting my Pulitzer Prize um, application ready. But in the meantime, I thought just so our listeners could start to work out what they're going to eat on the day of the budget... Um, I don't usually eat breakfast, which I know is is really bad, but I think I'll have to because it's a long day. So I wouldn't be surprised if I had, you know, a little toast, a light a light snack in the morning, and probably two really big cups of coffee. Dynamite, James. I think you should wait. For, to, I think they're going to reform alcohol duty in the budget, aren't they, to make, make English sparkling wine more more, more financially attractive. Um, so, I mean, may, maybe wait until after the chancellor sat down and for sort of deciding what what he's going to either increase the cost of, you know, or or, or what is going to come down in price. I was just, wait, wait, wait until after. So you might you might swap out your normal morning bourbon with a light, a nice little. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll wait till after the budget to crack out the night timber thank you james thank you kate and thank you for listening